Well, thank you all for being here this morning. It's an honor for me to stand before you this morning and speak to you from God's Word, and I hope and pray that what I had to say will be helpful to you in some way. You know, when you get right down to it, joy is what people are about. That's kind of our, it's kind of our bag. That's kind of what we do. We, our lives are centered around doing things that make us happy. We want to be a joyful people. We want to be happy people. The, the jobs that we have, the, the things that we do are, are centered around things that we enjoy. We want to be a happy people. Nobody sets out in their lives to think, what can I do today to make myself more miserable? What can I do to bring a little more pain and suffering into my life? We want to be people of happiness. We want to pursue joy. The problem is, is what we end up pursuing a lot of times isn't the true biblical joy that we find in the Bible, but rather moments of temporary pleasure. We look for the highs of this life. And we're going to talk today a lot about sinful behavior, but we're also going to talk about things that in in and of themselves are not necessarily sinful or inherently sinful. But we look for the things in this life that, that tend to bring us the intense pleasure. Okay, And I'm not talking... Again, not just like talking about sinful behavior, but things that really make us happy. The things that really bring us joy. And we, for some reason, want our lives to be filled with those things over and over. And so we confuse true joy with temporary pleasure. And the problem is, is that short term, there are a lot of things in this world that can make us happy on a short term basis. But that fades away very quickly. And then what we're left with is this desire to up the ante. Is to go is to have that same experience again, but the problem is that same experience isn't enough, and we have to better that, and we have to do better and better. And of course, those kinds of things to, can lead to sinful behaviors. We'll talk about here in a little while. But if we're pursuing happiness in the world from a standpoint of hitting those highs, those high notes, then what we're going to be left with is emptiness in the end. It's a never-ending cycle, and at the end of the day, it's going to take us away from serving God and. It's going to keep us from achieving the true joy, the fullness of joy that God wants us to have in our lives. Something that I, don't, I never like to do when I give a sermon is to def- define a word that everybody knows what the definition is. So we all think we know what joy is. I'm not doing that this morning because I'm showing you this is the definition of joy that's on, that when you type it into Google, this is what pops up. I'm not showing you this morning to show you what the definition of joy is. I'm showing because I believe this definition is flawed. I think that what the world views as joy is not joy. This says that joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. I submit to you that great pleasure and happiness are feelings that can be a result of joy. The joy in and of itself is not an emotion that you and I experience. Joy is rather a mindset Um, It's an attitude, a perspective, a worldview, if you will. True joy isn't the emotion of happiness. Now, I agree that great pleasure and happiness can be and should be a result of the joy that we have in our lives from time to time. But joy in and of itself is not the feeling. It's the attitude. It's the mindset. All these other words that you see down here that are synonyms of joy, I believe these are all results from joy. I believe the scriptures teach us that joy isn't something that we feel, but joy is rather something that we do. 
or rather an attitude that we have, much like as the scriptures define love. We talk all the time about that agape love that we're supposed to have for one another. That kind of love isn't really the feeling of love that the world talks about. It's a choice that we make. And I believe at the end of the day, joy is the same thing. Having the the fullness of joy in our life that God wants us to have comes down to the choice that we've made, the attitude that we have, what our perspective is, whether, you know, like Carrie talked in his prayer this morning, whether we have that eternal perspective or whether we have a worldly perspective. And so as we consider the things this morning that make us happy, the things that give us pleasure, I want to look at the folly of pursuing pleasure as opposed to pursuing joy. There's nothing wrong with pleasure in and of itself. I believe that that God allows us to have pleasure in this life, things that make us happy. I think he wants that for us in this life, as long as that doesn't transition into areas of sin. As you consider your own life, think about the things that make you happy, the things that give you pleasure, the hobbies that you take part in, or the people in your life. What is it that makes you happy, that gives you pleasure in this life? You know, the psalmist, excuse me, the wise man said in Proverbs 21, verse 7, He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. There's nothing wrong with experiencing pleasure and things in this life that give us pleasure. The problem is, is when we love those things, when we begin to pursue pleasure, because again, what we're talking about there are the highs that we receive. Not necessarily the highs from drugs, just the happiness that we receive from different events in our lives. You think about the events in your life like the day that you got married or when your children were born or maybe like a fun family vacation that you take or good times that you have with brethren, say like maybe a a brotherhood meeting. Those are times of high when you experience great joy. You know, think about all the other things in your life that you do that bring you pleasure. For me, there's nothing like sitting in a dark theater waiting for those words, big yellow words to pop up on the screen and the blare of, of John Williams' music as I watch the opening scroll of a new Star Wars movie. There's nothing like it. Don't judge me. I know I'm a nerd. Okay? Some of you have weird things, too. Some of you will go sitting, you know, sub-zero temperatures to watch a college football game, okay? That's weird. All right? I don't get it. But we all have our own things, right? Nothing wrong with those things, you know? There's nothing wrong with going and enjoying something that we want. But you know what the problem is? Is that can never, the next time that I have to get that same feeling is a, a year or two or 10 or 12 later, years later when the next Star Wars movie comes out. If I make that my goal, if I make that my focus, I'll never be satisfied because it's a one and done deal. It's enjoyable for a short time and then it's over. And then I have to up the ante to feel that good again. Whatever the case may be. If we love pleasure, we're going to be poor. Because those highs just don't come often enough. If we obsess over the highs, then we can't enjoy anything else about the rest of our lives. Proverbs thirteen twenty two: the righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. And this is sort of the escalation, if you will, of where the pursuing pleasure takes us. Because too many times we pursue pleasure, maybe it starts out as not sinful behavior, but again, we have to up the ante. We have to take, raise the bar. And before you know it, we're getting into sinful behavior. And that's how a lot of sinful behavior escalates, whether it's drug use, whether it's alcohol, whether it's sexual sin, whatever the case may be. It starts with something that we look at and say, that's not that big a deal. But then in order to receive the pleasure from that and to sort of get more out of that, we have to move forward and we have to escalate and we have to make it worse and worse and worse. And before you know it, 
we think, oh, well, this will make me happy. This will make me happy. This will make me happy. But at the end of the day, we will always be in want. We'll never be satisfied with the pleasures of this world because it just can't sustain. We can't sustain that. Whether it's sinful behavior or not, we can't sustain it because the highs are always going to come back down and real life is going to always intrude on those moments of momentary pleasure. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. The wisest man that ever lived said, I did it all, I tried it all. Nothing satisfies. The man who loves silver, it doesn't matter how much silver he gains, it will never be enough. The person who likes to, to have abundance, all these things in their lives, it will never be enough. Never be satisfying. James chapter 4, verse 1 says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that warn your members? He says, this is what pleasure gets you. All the bickering and the fighting that goes on in the world, it all comes down to our own pleasure. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. Doesn't matter how much sin you commit. Doesn't matter how much you try to get ahead. It will never, you'll never receive what you're really seeking. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Here's here's another thing about seeking after pleasure. little rabbit trail. Pleasure is inherently selfish. If we're pursuing pleasure in this life, it's because it's self-centered. It's about what I want, what makes me feel good. Now, sure, I can go to a, a Star Wars movie with other people you know, enjoy the experience with other people and share that maybe with my kids or somebody else. But at the end of the day, if they're not coming with me, I'm going anyway. It's about me. And that's the same thing with any other type of pleasure, momentary pleasure that we pursue in this life. It's about what makes me feel good. It's self-centered. Joy is not the same thing. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Wherever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He says it all comes down to you and your desire for pleasure and the things that you ask of God. If you do ask God, you're asking amiss because you're asking in a selfish manner. You're asking for things that you don't really need. Those temporary, momentary pleasures of life. C.S. Lewis said most people, if they have really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely. That means intensely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. And that's the point. That's the folly of pursuing after pleasure. Satan, through the things of this world, makes the offer. He says, you can have happiness in this life. You can have joy in this life. If only you can make this much money. If only you can have this car. If only you can have this house. If only you can have this position of power and leadership within a company. If only you can have this kind of influence over people in your community. If only, if only, if only. All these things promise us happiness. They promise us fulfillment. They promise us everlasting joy. But at the end of the day, they can't quite keep the promise. Because it's never enough. Because we desire something. God has put in us naturally as he says here, a desire for something that this world can't fulfill. A desire for something that's bigger than ourselves. For something that's greater than our own selfish desires. 
And that's the difference between pleasure and true joy. Pleasure is self-centered. Joy is all about something bigger than ourselves. You know where this is going. The source of our joy is not in this world. You know, if you're going to pursue something, you need to know where to find it. In the case of true biblical joy, the only place we can find that is in a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you're going to look anywhere else for joy, you've failed before you've even started because you will not find it. The joy, the true joy that can be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. How many times have we read this passage of Scripture and heard it preached in a sermon? All these things that we should have in our life, these are all things that are fruits of the Spirit. There's no law against these things. These are all good things to have. Notice what he says here. In verse 24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So not only is he telling us what the fruits of the Spirit are, he's telling us how to get that. He says, if you want these things in your life, you're going to have to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. You're going to learn how to have to let, excuse me, you're going to have to learn how to let go of those high moments in your life. Not that you can't have them your wedding, the birth of your children, whatever the case may be. Those things are going to come along. We need to enjoy those things when they happen. Then we need to learn to let go of them and not make those pleasures the focus of our life. Crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. It's not about me anymore. It's not about making myself happy and having that intense pleasure all the time. It's about having a different mindset, a different understanding. And if I want to have true joy in my life, It's found in the Holy Spirit. It's found by living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit as God wants us to do. Crucifying the flesh. That's where we find true joy. Conversely, we can't find it anywhere else. The only place we can find true joy or love or peace or long-suffering or gentleness or any of these other things is in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit of God. We can't find it anywhere else. Again, the world tells us we can and maybe we can find a facsimile of these things. Maybe we can find something that can fool us into thinking we found something else, but at the end of the day, if you want the true thing, if you want true joy in your life, there's only one place to find it, and that's in a relationship with God. David said, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. David had the mindset. He had his mind right at this point. I have set the Lord always before me. You know, that's the key. Setting the Lord always before us. Understanding what the perspective is. Understanding what the goal is. He says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, that's the interesting thing. You know, people say, oh, what what do I have to give up? I have to give up all these pleasures to be a Christian. I have to give up all these things I want to do to be a Christian. David said, I'm not giving up anything. I'm gaining everything. I've got the fullness of joy. And I'm willing to give up these temporary things that happen in my life that bring me momentary pleasure in order to have pleasures forevermore. Paul said the same thing when he talked about, I I count all things as loss for Christ's sake, that I may gain all things. I've given things up, yes, but I'm gaining so much more. 
And I think because of that, there's an interesting dichotomy when it comes to joy. So many people look at the joy that's described in the Bible and some of the connotations that come along with that and the descriptions that we see of times that we have to have joy in our lives. And they think, I don't want any part of that. Because too many times that involves suffering. It involves pain and trial and anguish. That's not joy. Remember, let's not lose sight of our definition. Joy is not the emotion. Joy is what gets us through the emotion. So many scriptures that we have relate in an almost negative connotation from a worldly perspective. But at the end of the day, that's not the case. James chapter 1, verse 2 and verse 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Someone from the world looks at that and says, that's stupid. Why in the world would I be happy if I'm having a trial of some kind in my life? Why in the world could I count it all joy when I'm suffering or enduring persecution or any other thing? Well, James gives us a partial answer to that because the testing of your faith works patience, produces patience. I understand that there's a long game here. I take myself out of the moment and think, what is this accomplishing in my life? Yes, I'm enduring some hard times right now, but I'm becoming more patient. I'm becoming more long-suffering. I'm becoming someone who can endure these things because of the core values that I have. Because of my belief in God, my relationship with Him. Knowing what the end game actually is. I can endure some temporary trials because of that. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. What does he say here? Number one, he says, number one, the trial that you're going through is not some strange thing. Everybody goes through hard times. Too many times we say, nobody understands what I'm going through. I'm the only one who knows what it's like. Not true. Not true. That's another little rabbit trail for you. Okay. What's he say? But rejoice to the extent that you partake of the Christ's sufferings. You're not rejoicing in the fact that you're suffering, but you can rejoice in the fact that you partake just a little bit in what Jesus went through for us. That we can understand just a little bit what he went through in order to redeem us from our sins. Not that we're happy because we're having problems or going through some kind of suffering but that we can at least know what it was like to be Jesus just a little bit. And that we can share in that suffering just a little bit. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. It's, remember, it's again taking ourselves out of the moment and looking at the end result. The joy that will be revealed. Peter went through this himself once. In Acts chapter 5, we find that Peter and some of the other apostles were arrested for preaching Jesus. It says they agreed with him and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Peter could talk about it because Peter lived it. He went through it. Here they were arrested just for preaching Jesus. The council got them together. They wanted to put them to death. Uh, There was a man there that kind of talked them down and talked some sense into them. And so they said, well, okay, we're not going to kill them, but, but we'll beat them. So they beat them. Sent them on their way, said, don't preach about Jesus anymore. What happens when you get a beating? What's it feel like? It doesn't feel good. I've never been beat like this. I don't really know. I'm sure it doesn't feel good. Sure doesn't want to make me rejoice. The fact that I just got beat. Why did they rejoice? They didn't rejoice in the beating. 
They rejoiced in the fact that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. If you're suffering because you're a Christian, you're on the right track. If you go through some kind of pain and persecution, and none of us in this room probably have ever gone through anything close to this, but if that does happen, you can know that you're on the right track, and you can rejoice in that. Not rejoicing in the beating, rejoicing in the fact that you're doing the right thing. You're counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Y'all probably get tired of me using this passage. It explains so well what I'm trying to get across to you this morning. Nobody could look at what Jesus went through. The arrest, the mock trial, the false testimony, the mockery, the humiliation, the beating, the scourging, the crucifixion. Nobody can look at that and say, sign me up. I want to do that. I want to find joy in that. Jesus didn't find joy in the process. He didn't say, yeah, let's get this going. This sounds like fun. No, he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to do it. Well, then what is this verse saying? He didn't enjoy the cross. He, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Because he he took himself out of the moment. He said, this is going to be painful. This is going to be humiliating. This is going to be suffering and agony. But I'm willing to do it. For the joy that is set before me. What was that joy? Redeeming us to him. Giving us a way back to God. Providing us with the solution to our sin. And Jesus was able to endure everything that he did. Not because he enjoyed those things. But because he would enjoy the result. The result of that. The redemption of his creation. Was a joy that he had set before him. And allowed him to endure those things. And so we think about that interesting dichotomy when it comes to having joy in our lives. We're going to have highs and lows. We're going to have those peaks and valleys. We're going to have, you know, our weddings and our, the birth of our children and those vacations and Star Wars movies and everything else that goes along with that. But we cannot make those things our focus. Because if that's the case, we're going to be disappointed at least 50% of the time, if not more. Because those highs don't come along very often. You know, if Jesus only focused on the highs in his life, which he had a lot less highs than most of us do, I would dare say. If he had only focused on that and then had all the other stuff that that he had to deal with, there's no way he could have endured the cross. How did Jesus endure the cross? Because he had a joy that was set before him. Remember, joy isn't the emotion. Up here are the emotions. Down here are the emotions. Joy is the thing that runs right through the middle of it that sustains us, that allows us to endure, and that allows us to appreciate those hot times even more and then move on because we know they can't last. The joy that we find in God cuts right through the middle of all of it. And for the joy that is set before Jesus, he's able to accomplish what he did at Calvary. And you and I similarly can find joy in God in our lives. We know that God is the source of that true joy. And that apart from walking in the Spirit, 
that we can't find true joy? What are the means and the methods of that that accomplish that? We could go on for hours this morning talking about those things. These are some of the things that just sort of came to my mind that I think are the most important, some of the things that can really help us on a daily basis to think about how we can find joy in God. Number one, in our salvation. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. If you can find no other joy in this life, if nothing good ever happens to you other than the fact that your sins have been washed away, that should be enough. There should be nothing else needed in your life to bring you the joy that God can bring other than the salvation of God. To understand your own pitiful nature, my own sin and the hopelessness of that situation, that I can do nothing about it, and that God had love and grace enough to send his son to this world to die for my sin, that I could be obedient to the gospel and have a relationship with him. What more do we need to bring us joy in this life? To know that instead of spending an eternity in punishment, I'm going to spend eternity worshiping God. What an amazing gift we've been given. And what more do we need to find joy in our relationship with God other than the fact that our sins have been washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ? That joy that we have should transcend to worship. In Psalm 95, verse 1 through 2, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. If we have the, the feeling of joy, that thankfulness of our salvation, that ought to lead us to want to worship him. And that in turn is going to make us more joyful. Nothing better than a great song service. We've had one this morning. You know, I... I know there's a, a happy medium or maybe a, a pendulum effect that goes along with, with the way people worship. You see a lot of people in this world who, you know, the, the Pentecostal type of worship where they're up and they're dancing around and they're waving their arms and they're falling in the floor. And you know, I think we want to swing so far away from that sometimes that we just sit there in our pew with our little songbook and, you know, and we're not displaying emotion. And this says, shout to the Lord joyfully. With psalms, it's okay to show a little bit of emotion every now and then. I'm not saying we need to start rolling in the aisles or anything, but it's, it's okay to show a little emotion as we worship God. Nothing wrong with that. It's okay to smile every now and again. It's okay. God wants us to do it. He wants us to feel joy. Those are the emotions that are a result of the joy that we have in our salvation as we worship God. So we talk about finding that joy. This, these next few passages are going to be about sustaining that joy. Because remember, we talk about hitting those highs and those lows. I would consider the day that I obeyed the gospel as one of those highs. I'm sure many of you would as well. But as you know, that doesn't last. We come down from that and real life sets back in and we're okay. And then we kind of forget what that feels like. And so we need to continue to find joy. We need to sustain that joy. And we do that by getting in God's word. Jesus said, as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. What does Jesus say? How do we sustain joy? How do we continue to have his joy in us and that joy be full? We obey his word. We obey his commandments. We get in the book and we study it and we learn it and we do it. 
That's how we sustain the joy. The joy that we had on the day that we obeyed the gospel. That joy can be sustained. Not as a high peak emotion as it was on that day, but as a full assurance of our salvation. And that joy that is set before us. Just as Jesus had the joy that was set before him. Obedience to that word. Psalm 40 verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. We need to find joy in righteousness. You know, too many things in this world. Kerry talked about it in his prayer this morning. So many things going on in our country that are disturbing. People celebrating sin. Too many times people find joy in sin. Too many times we don't understand the nature. We don't recognize the seriousness of our own sin. And we just sort of laugh it off or make excuses. We need to stop doing that and we need to start finding joy in obedience. Joy in righteousness. Joy in justice and mercy. Instead of the sin that's all around us. If we're going to find joy in our own salvation, if we're going to find joy enough to worship God, then we need to have the joy enough to share that with other people. Luke fifteen ten says, Likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Why would we want to keep that to ourselves? Why would we not want to share that with other people? If the angels can rejoice over the salvation of a soul, certainly we can as well. And all we want to share that with other people and see them obey the gospel, but then spend time with those people in fellowship. First Thessalonians 2 and 19, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming for you are our glory and joy? Paul loved his brethren. He wanted to spend time with them. There's no greater feeling than when a group of God's people get together and spend time together. People of like mind, people who have that joy set before them that someday we're going to spend eternity in heaven. What a great feeling of joy that should put in us and sustain, not just for a moment. We could go on and on this morning about how we can find joy in God. There's no limit to the scriptures that could talk about where we find our joy and how we sustain that. But I hope you consider a little bit this morning some of the things we talked about when it comes to pursuing after pleasure versus pursuing after joy. Appreciate those moments when they come along. I don't want to take that away from anyone because there are times in our lives when we, when we have great pleasure and things that happen. Those things aren't sinful. Those things aren't wrong to enjoy. But when we start holding on to those and lose sight of the true joy that is set before us, then we can find ourselves slipping away and we can find ourselves entangled and overcome in sin. And that's not joy. That's not what God wants for us. The true pursuit of joy is found in this passage, I believe, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What's he talking about here? Taking yourself out of the moment. Because joy isn't a feeling that we have. Joy is the attitude that we have. Joy is our perspective of eternity. 
It's knowing that my sins have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to spend forever with him in heaven someday. And so even though right now I'm going through hard times, even though right now I'm being tried by the fire, I know the result of that is going to be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I can rejoice with inexpressible joy because of that fact. If you're subject to the gospel call, if you need the prayers of the church, please come have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing.